Welcome to Live at the Nupa. You're here with JB. And David Cunningham. Now, today, JB, we've got three things we're going to talk about. One was PayPal and its entry into stablecoin and the implications of that for finance and banking. And is this part of the future world that we don't even know really exists yet? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is we're going to have a bit of a chat about the entry of Apple, another quite well-known brand, <laughs> into the savings market in the US and the success they're having. And perhaps we'll touch on how it compares to what Squirrel's doing in the same market here in New Zealand. Um, and perhaps just a quick check-in on things that have happened in the economy in the last week and the potential influence on mortgage rates. So how about we start with the economy? What's the news this week? Well, I guess the big news is the fall in retail sales, right? And everyone sounded surprised about it, but if you've been following our podcast yeah. or even our blog lately, uh, it's not really, I don't think it's that unexpected. Yeah, I mean, look, having economists so far away with their forecast from the actual, so by way of example, ASB was forecasting a 0.9% volume growth. This is the June quarter, so it's already old information, but it does give us a bit of a signal what was already happening, even though mortgage rates are still rising past that time frame. So they were forecasting plus 0.9, it was minus 1.0. The market was forecasting minus 0.4. I think the Reserve Bank was minus 0.1. So it came in at minus 1. So prices up a bit, but when you take inflation out of that, volume's down 1%. And supposedly that was the quarter where you had migration playing yeah. quite a big influence, which is one of the things the you know, economists that are still calling for another interest rate rise sort of call out. You know, migration's going to increase prices and that. But hey, we've got volume <clears> falling, <throat> even despite migration being really strong in that quarter. Yeah. So why, first, why did economists miss that one so much? And B, what implication do you think that has for mortgage rates? Oh, look, well, I think you and I have been talking about this for ages, which is I think everyone's underestimating that you know, there's still tightening occurring in the economy, mm. that this incredibly fast increase in the OCR is still transferring through into mm. homeowners' borrowing rates. Mm. And so we're not, we're not even done yet. There's, no. there's more tightening to come. Yeah, I mean, in fact, with interest rates, like a number of banks put up their interest rates. So some listeners might recall last week we talked about Commons cash cow having collet, which was a reference to the Commonwealth Bank CEO saying that mortgage margins in New Zealand were unsustainable. We pointed out that actually their deposit margins were very, very wide, and so their overall margins were wide. But lo and behold, straight mm. after that, ASB did put up rates, and I think ASB's ANZ um, followed. ANZ sort of followed as well. So the insight there is since the Reserve Bank set their cash rate at five and a half and said, you know, we're likely to be on hold for a long period of time. So that was now two months ago. Since then, interest rates have risen by 50 basis points. Yeah. So we've had effectively two OCR increases without the Reserve Bank really doing anything. Yes, and ASB's led it up every time. Mm, mm. So, I mean, essentially, whatever the Reserve Bank's been banking on uh, the impact on consumers, it's getting the effect of another tightening without even doing it. Now, I'd argue they're probably getting a bit worried about how high those mortgage rates are going because well, they the, should be. the risk of a very uh, increasingly deep recession, because the conversation's always been about a shallow recession, but when yeah. you think about a hell of a lot more impact for households, you know, as much as 2% more on their mortgage, you know, the average rate today is five that people are paying, you'd be hard pressed to get a rate much below seven at the moment. So another 2% to go on average for New Zealanders on their $350 billion of mortgages, and then you've had 
the China slowdown we've talked about previously, the Fonterra cut in the milk payout forecast for next year, which is yeah. partly driven by the China sort of situation. Yeah. And, uh, and falling commodity prices largely across the board. Uh, that will impact New Zealand in terms of agricultural sector, mm. but also things like timber, mm. you know, pine, um, all that sort of thing, as well as Australia. And of course, you know, I think China's our biggest trading partner, but Australia's mm. not too far Well, behind. guess what? Iron ore, um, I think BHP's profit was out and it was down 30, 40% off yeah. extremely high levels. But yeah, 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 I mean, that iron ore, which is built builds buildings, apartments, factories in China has sort of come off the boil a fair bit. Now, now it's still at an elevated level, but I think you haven't had any economists come out and say New Zealand is facing a quite deep recession. I mean, it may not be long because you can ease interest rates to stimulate things, but this could be a far deeper recession than the shallow one almost every economist is forecasting. Yeah, look, bank economists never forecast anything too scary. No. no, they never they never forecast booms and yeah. they never forecast busts. Well, I think I said it last week. You see these historical graphs with very jagged lines up and down, and then going forward, you've got this straight line. <laughs> you just look at that and go, "Yeah, right." But yeah, you know, but yeah. you're not going to forecast every up and no, down. No, no one, no one's going to forecast a big recession, right? Mm. They're going to go, "Oh shit, we didn't expect that." And mm. and I guess we've been talking for a while, and you sort of go, "Well, hold on, the data's telling us that it's not going to be pleasant." We went through this last week. The farming sector, no one's making any money. Construction is uh, is a bit of a mess. Uh, what, what we know, and we said it last week, retail's a mess. Mm. Hospitality's a mess. Um, mm. You know, there, there's not much going right at the mm. moment, and mm. we're still in a tightening cycle. Yeah, I'd have to say, if I was sitting at the Reserve Bank today, I'd be getting very worried. Um, and you know, I think they're aware of the impact of mortgage rates, but they hadn't factored in the plunge in dairy prices and it was that's why it was surprising the the monetary policy statement it was only a week ago wasn't it mm. where they extended the time frame for interest rates to stay high but i mean i guess to be fair they're worried about that core inflation measure which has proved looking sticky but sooner or later the impact of all these things flows through i guess there's a lot of pent-up things like rate rises i got the yeah. rates bill the other day it was like eye-watering i think it was seven percent and so there's a bunch of stuff that are coming through still. But you know that's going to stop at some point, don't you, I guess? Yeah, yeah. And look, uh, the, the funny thing is, you know, how's China a surprise? Because it's been on my watch list for probably two or three years now. Mm. And I think the thing is we just get so used to it and maybe we talk about it so much that eventually when something happens, it is a surprise. Mm. But the fundamentals have been building in China for two or three years. Mm. You know, I remember two or three years ago watching the videos of these cities getting built with no one in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone was like, there's going to be a property crash in China. And then I think it was the Evergrade or whatever a couple of years ago defaulted on its bond payments. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the biggest builders in the world. And suddenly that was going to trigger China. Mm. And mm. they seem to get through it each time. Their population's mm. decreasing. It's no longer the most populous country on the planet. Yeah, yeah and they just overtook them, them earlier mm. this year. Yeah, yeah. And they're really facing into this aging demographic. I don't know, I didn't mention it last week, but youth unemployment in China at the moment is over 20%. Wow. Yeah. That's sort of the unemployment you had in Europe, youth unemployment, when times were really bad. Uh, it's the youth that 
end up without jobs, I suppose, and uh, probably older people too. Well, and they've got, they've got a major problem over there, and because the youth are so exposed to the West, and mm. um, and they don't want to be controlled like their mm. parents were controlled in, mm. in China, and so she's got this real problem over there, because China relies on everyone, kind of, you know, work for the motherland, go and get in the factory, work your mm. ass off for the rest of your life, mm. for the betterment of mm. our country. Mm. And there's these new generations coming through that just don't believe that. Yeah, it's a big it's, problem for them. Yeah. Okay. So um, anyway. I guess the impact. You know, <laughs> I, let's let's say it. You heard it here first. New Zealand's headed for quite a deep recession in the second half of this year. Agree? I, yeah. Look, I think so. And the only thing that could maybe you might get a little bit of short-term stimulus coming out of the election result. That, that you know, mm. it's, it's an act national government. Everyone goes, oh, thank God, everything's going to be okay. Mm. And maybe they spend a little bit more again. Mm. H- who knows? Well, how can but, you though, when your mortgage rates, you know, it's still going up? Oh, mm. Some of this is confidence driven, right? Mm. You know, a lot of it's affordability driven, mm. but confidence always plays a role in the economy and mm. I think at the moment you've got to say Kiwis are pretty depressed at the moment and that's not helping the situation mm. so mm. Uh, but let's let's move on we could talk about the economy all day yeah. I guess the key thing is the implication is you know almost every economist has moved out their forecast of interest rates falling the OCR falling to at least August next year I think is about the earliest you know and Kiwi, Kiwi Bank came out Kiwi Bank moved theirs from Feb to August I think oh okay um, yeah. ASB was another one that was sort of a bit more dovish on interest rates Westpac and ANZ have been the ones calling for another hike I mean to call for <laughs> another hike it's just in my mind I just can't see any justification at all I just go say it would say February is six months away that's when people were calling for potentially an OCR reduction, um, mm. the first one. Could see a it. lot can happen in six months, and, you know, we're seeing some of the early signs. Yeah, there. and look, that's the first one into the new year, right? Because mm. you, you, you have the extended period over Christmas where there's just nothing coming out of the RBNZ. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It look, quite possible, especially if things turn gnarly before Christmas. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> hey, let's move on to PayPal. So PayPal's not so well known in New Zealand, so it might be worth just describing what PayPal is. Mm. But I think it was just in the last week or two they announced something pretty significant in the, I suppose you call it crypto, crypto space, space, but yeah. the stablecoin space. But let's just start with, you know, what's PayPal? Just for everyday listeners that don't really know it. Like uh, anyone that's transacted online would have seen it, right? So it, it was a way of effectively managing transactions through the Visa MasterCard network for online transactions. Store your credit card yep. and then transact. So and then so it, rather than making a payment with your MasterCard, you make a payment with PayPal, which is using the MasterCard yeah, yeah. store. So effectively you would save your cards into PayPal. Into PayPal, yeah. And then from an e-commerce site, you could just log into to your PayPal account and pay that way. Right. So and you're not loading your card online, it's secure inside PayPal. It's a secure yeah. inside PayPal. And okay. so you're still going through the same rails. It's still transacting the same way that your credit card would normally transact, but you're doing it via PayPal, right? Right. And why would people <coughs> use that rather than a credit card? Because it's quite widely used in Australia, uh, US, and less, less so here. Yeah, well, I think initially, like I, I've, I've got a PayPal account and I initially struggled with it because I was worried about online security. You know, this idea of having your credit card stored in a third-party app 
to me was a bit foreign and I, I wasn't too keen on it. But it's very convenient, right? Especially okay. if you're doing a lot of online purchases and mm. stuff. The world moved on a bit because then things like Google and stuff started to store your credit card details and it would mm. pre-populate them whenever mm. you went to an e-commerce site. But mm. back in the day when that wasn't occurring, this yeah. sort of secured way of mm. managing your credit card with e-commerce sites I had a lot of attraction. Yeah, so it's got tens of millions of users or hundred, hundred. Oh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of users. I think from memory, it's got about three million merchants use it globally. So wow. just to yeah. put it in So it's another means of payment, but it's utilizing the MasterCard Visa rail. So last week they announced that they're launching what's called a stable coin. So what the heck's a stable coin? So, so we're moving to crypto currency or digital currencies right so mm -hmm. we're moving away from physical dollars and i think everyone gets it things like bitcoin i mean who hasn't heard of bitcoin right but there's two things here so when we're talking about cryptocurrency we're, we're literally just talking about a digital currency or, or or money that can exist in the digital realm and, and not physically so is it a bit like i've got a 10 buck note in my hand yeah a stable coin is just a 10 buck note and it's online in a digital form right yeah, yeah. and so um so like a normal cryptocurrency like bitcoin it sets its own price uh and that's uh, based on supply and demand yeah and so you know we all see you know bitcoin prices up down or over places quite volatile mm. so um so it doesn't have the characteristics of a means of payment because you know today it's my, too volatile yeah 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 you get absolute fans mm. of bitcoin and then you'll get people that are quite cynical about mm. i'm probably in the more cynical camp me too i can't see why it exists it's just a speculative thing built on um How's that saying go? Built on sand or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And look, I, I mean... We... Well, that will infuriate some of our listeners, yeah, but yeah, we won't go there, but it's sort of a, it's a, it's something you can make and lose money on, right? It, it's and one of those ones where I, I, I don't truly get it. But, but, um, but, but stable coins I get. PayPal's launched a US dollar stable coin, which means that uh, it's one-to-one -one with the US dollar. It's backed by real currency, and I guess PayPal's a trusted brand. It's, you know, it's an institution. It's mm. a very large business. And so um, it'll be a trusted digital currency that's backed by real dollars. Yeah. And so it's one-to-one -to, -one to the US dollar, which means that it's stable, hence why it's called a stable coin. What's really fascinating about this is that what it can potentially do to things like the Visa MasterCard network. Because if you think about the way that credit card transactions have historically occurred, Banks go and join up and they become sort of merchant banks and then they go mm. and get a whole lot of retailers and they charge them into uh, merchant service fees, which is quite high, yeah. 2-3%. These interchange pass back to banks that issue credit cards mm -hmm. to, I guess, to consumers. And it sort of all runs through computers in America or Singapore or whatever. Yeah, yeah and, the and there's these massive networks yeah. and authentication processes that occur and it's, you know, it's a massive infrastructure and it's centrally controlled by a couple of really big players. Mm. And if you think about it in the New Zealand context, like we had pretty much free FPOS in New Zealand. Like we were one of the most advanced countries in the world when it came to transacting digitally 30 years ago, right? Mm. And, um, and it was largely free for consumers. They might have had some transaction fees, but largely fee for consumers and free for merchants. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is that credit cards really struggle to get traction in New Zealand, um, particularly with debit card, right, with their, um, you know, their pay wave and stuff, because 
merchants have to pay for that. Mm. Uh, whereas normal FPOS is free. And if you go into retailers today, there's a lot of retailers that will still say, we won't take tap, you've got to insert and put your pin in, right? Or there's a surcharge. Or there's a surcharge. To cover the cost of that inefficient network, I think. We well, well and profiteering, right? <laughs> um, did I say that out loud? Who would profiteer um, in financial services? Who would? But, um, <laughs> but, but you know, we, we talked about this, uh, in, I think the first or second episode. You know, it's crazy. The amount of money consumers are paying by tapping and going. Rather than uh, inserting the card. Rather than yeah. inserting the card. But, but the, this is the thing, right? Now, stay back to stablecoin. Stablecoin bypasses that entire system. So um, you're going to have very rapid digital transactions that occur that do not need to go through these vast networks. Mm. The digital currency can li- literally move from me, the consumer, to you, the business. So is that blockchain that's making that happen? Because we've yeah. heard all about blockchain and it's always it sort of aligned to Bitcoin. And Bitcoin <coughs> and blockchain are two very different things. Bitcoin uses, I guess, blockchain, blockchain. technology, but yeah. it's not the perfect use case, the best use case is what we're talking about here effectively. Is that well, right? this is where the world's heading, right? You're going to get pretty much all reserve banks around the world issuing digital currency at some point, a digital version of their currency. PayPal's in their plane in this space so already. So is it safe? Yeah. Why, why would I want to own a PayPal dollar? I think they call it a PYUSD. Why would I? Is that safe to own it? Like, if I trans, if I buy yes. a, a thousand PYUSDs with a thousand US dollars, which I think is how it works, one for one is the yes. conversion rate, which is why yeah. you have the word stable. Yeah, is is that money? It's effectively held with PayPal. Is that safe? Yes. Like, what's it backed by? By hard US dollars. It'll be oh, okay. US treasuries. So you pay your thousand bucks to PayPal. They then go and invest that in US treasuries and that, really yeah. safe. And so they make quite a bit of money off that, but don't they if interest rates are 5% like they are? Well, that's how they make their money, right? Uh, I think, well, what do you call it? Sainerage uh, is the term, yeah. Sainerage. So when a reserve bank issues, you know, a billion dollars of dollar notes yeah. or whatever, they're effectively, you're buying it off them and then they can invest that. Yeah. So yeah, it's so Sainerage like, is a bit, a bit like so, how banks work, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, you have your money yeah. in a transaction account, you Maybe use nothing. it, but in the meantime, you earn interest on it. Yeah. yeah, so it's that. So PayPal stepping into the core of transactional banking and central banking. But it's going to remove massive costs from the system. And so I think this is a massive competitive threat to traditional uh, businesses that rely on that sort of credit card interchange model. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, it's going to be great for merchants. It's Mm -hmm. going to reduce merchant costs. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be good for people that want to get air points on their credit cards. (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah. (laughs) It'll kill that. Yeah. It's going to be very good for international payments. You know, yeah, in terms so, of so does a country like a reserve bank or central bank lose control over, over their own currency when this is happening? If I'm in New Zealand, I want to use PayPal and pay by PYUSDs, PayPal US dollars, their stable coin, I'd first have to buy some US dollars, wouldn't I? And then I can purchase things with those US PayPal US dollars. You, you wouldn't so, necessarily have to buy US dollars. So you've got um, crypto exchanges and stuff that will do all of that for you. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but the challenge for you at the moment is that you would be going from New Zealand dollars to US dollars and then back to New Zealand dollars Right, so I'd be on the other using side. money on exchange rates and that, so which is another back- way you typically make money yeah. if you're operating these platforms. Yeah. yeah Does that yeah, mean yeah. a stable coin then will effectively, you know, you'll have a, each local country will have its own local state? 
stable coin. They well, will have. I think, as I said before, all reserve banks will end up issuing a stable coin in yeah. there. In and our reserve banks currency. talking about this stuff, but doesn't yeah. seem to be moving very fast. This might maybe give them a bit of a... Give them a bit of a nudge. But look, the other thing is, you just got to remember, these transactions occur almost instantaneously. Mm. So the exchange rate risk, you know, swapping from one stable coin to another is actually very, very small. Mm. And so um, what you'll see with these exchanges, you're going to see a whole lot of other types of businesses build up around this Mm. that almost allow, you won't know what's going on in the background. You might have bought something from a shop mm. you might walk into a shop and buy something and you've got New Zealand dollars and they're receiving New Zealand dollars mm. but what happens between you and the merchant in that instant mm. it doesn't really matter right mm. that could have been turned mm. into PayPal USD mm. and converted back mm. again an instant mm. later mm. it doesn't really matter it's a sort of a real what probably the word is democratization of the payment system which has been very narrowly controlled and I guess what PayPal's trying to put themselves as in the middle of that democratization. They already are. Well, they already are. Yeah. Now, this, this is the thing. This is what makes this so significant because there's plenty of stable coins out there. Mm. They, they, this isn't a new concept. They've been around for a while, although some of them are quite dodgy. This one is not dodgy. But what makes this so unique is the size of the PayPal network. Mm. Yeah. Hey, wasn't Meta, a la Facebook, wasn't Meta trying to do one of these things yes, a few was. years ago? Yeah, Why they, did that fall over? Was that because interest rates got so low or was that no, just no it, one no, trust or? No, 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 because it doesn't have the existing network. Right. Ah, so this is this yeah. is the thing. PayPal's got three million merchants. Yeah. And, and it's got, it's, I don't even know how many consumers it's got. It's like 500 million or something, right? Mm. So it's already established. Mm. I mean, if you think about it, PayPal turns this on, mm. three million merchants can accept yeah. PayPal yeah. stablecoin. I wonder if PayPal shares just went up. I'm sure they did, right? Hey, just a, a um, fun fact. Um, Elon Musk was an early owner of PayPal. He was one of the starters. He, he sold it, and I think he did SpaceX with, uh, you know, started launching rockets with the money he made from that. Yeah. Spent yeah. almost all of it, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. I mean, I guess the other sort of thing to touch on is, you know, I, th- I guess it's this stablecoin concept is very much in that what's called Web 3.0. So Web 1.0 yep. was the original internet. Web 2.0 was what we, you know, cloud computing and all that sort of stuff. Um Web 3.0 is this concept of decentralised everything. So, you know, peer-to-peer is part of that model, distributed consensus, cryptocurrency, AI, AI, non-fungible tokens, blockchain, metaverse worlds, and so on. And so we're on the cusp of, I think, Web 3.0 is still going through definition, but it's this sort of democratised world, I suppose you'd say. It's, It's going to be a bit like sort of iPhone rolling out, right? Yeah. Which is, what was the gap between Web 1 and Web 2. It was quite decent, right? 20 years. Yeah. Mm. And what was the gap between Web 2 and Web 3? 10. Yeah. So what's going to be the gap between Web 3 and Web 4? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's kind of scary, right? Yeah. Okay, we're getting into the big stuff here. Hey, so let's... um, So momentous sort of thing going on in the payments um, business. It will take some time to play out, but, you know, the power of PayPal will, will mean it, it happens quickly. Hey, um, the other thing was interesting in the news this week, again, looking offshore for sort of what are some of the trends that will hit us in New Zealand, was uh, a couple of weeks ago there was a headline, Apple's savings account um, reaches $10 billion in deposits. 
Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so um, what they do is they basically have a relationship with a big US bank called Goldman Sachs. And so Goldman Sachs is actually the bank account and Apple just puts its brand on the front and federally the money is held in trust or something like that with Goldman Sachs. But 10 billion, now that got me thinking about, well, is 10 billion a lot or a little? Because it sounds like a lot. And so we sort of looked at the size of the US savings and transaction account market and it turns out that it's an $11.5 trillion market at the moment. So their 10 billion is 0.08 of 1% of the market. Yeah. <laughs> it really brings it into sort of, you know, the US is so big, right? You right. know, 10 billion is a, is a drop in the bucket. I found something interesting about this is, you know, at Squirrel, we do exactly the same thing. Do you just want to sort of share how that happens? You know, the savings account concept aligned with a big bank? So we've got our peer-to-peer lending platform and we're obviously lending out on residential mortgages and and we've got mum and dad retail investors on the other side of that. They're investing into that. Separate from that, we've got our wallet, you know, our digital wallet that people put their money into. Similar to what would happen if you had an account with a like a shares or something like that. Or maybe even like a PayPal account. Maybe. PayPal. They don't pay interest, yeah, do they? No. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we went and put interest on our main wallet, right? And we're, mm. we're paying five and a quarter percent. Now, mm. the, those funds are held on custody or on trust with um, you know major banks, so double-A rated banks. In, so, in so, New Zealand. Yeah, in New yeah. Zealand. So in essence, your money's actually being held in a bank yeah. We're holding it in the bank uh, on behalf of the customer, but it's being held in the bank. So, um, and But you're earning a much higher interest rate, right? Five and a quarter percent. So you, you could argue Apple's doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, they're I holding think... the money essentially with Goldman Sachs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and what they're doing is paying a much higher interest rate than if you left your money in a savings account yeah. with Bank of America or Wells Fargo or one of yeah. those sort of banks. They're probably paying 1% or 2%. I think Apple's paying about 4.4%. Yeah, I mean, America's really interesting in that the gap between the banks and money markets is so huge. And, and that's because, you know, these banks are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm. You know, they've gone and lent out on 30-year fixed rate mortgages mm. at sort of like 2%. Mm. So they can't move their deposit rates. Mm. And uh, people don't get this. Even, yeah. even in America, I'm surprised how few sort of uh, commentators in America actually really understand what's going on there. Because yeah. I, I just don't see it yeah. in the press much. But effectively, the banks... Are holding deposit rates so low because mm. they have to because the mortgages on the other side yep. are at two percent. Yes, they don't want to be the next Silicon Valley bank, right? Yeah, and <laughs> That's so it's, it's, sort of yeah. So, but it? what yeah. it's done is in America, it's created this massive arbitrage opportunity. Mm. So anyone coming into that space fresh mm. can basically price at sort of money market type rates and still mm. make good margins, mm. like Apple's doing. Uh, and the money's just going to flood in there. Mm. So it's, I guess, this sort of disintermediation of the market where ultimately the money still ends up with the bank, but the intermediary facilitates the customer getting a better deal if the customer steps up and takes it. But most of us are all apathetic and <laughs> you know, lazy. I don't know if, it, if it's the word, but um, you know, never quite get around to it. So you know, good insight. I mean, it's exactly what Squirrel's doing with their five and a quarter percent call account. And I think our... Where I was going with that is our market share in New Zealand is the same as Apple's in the US. Yeah, <laughs> so, but not nearly you know, as exciting, right, yeah, as a headline. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it's good stuff. All this stuff is good for consumers, right, because it's, yeah. it's I guess it's disintermediating the sector um, and creating more um, value for the customer, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's what happens, right, is that arbitrage will ultimately get exploited. Mm. 
Um, you know, so arbitrage will drive competition, and competition's yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, I'd argue banking inquiries won't deliver different outcomes it's competition that will and so the most important thing governments can do is ensure a playing field that enables that prevents i guess incumbents from keeping out those new competitors yeah um, and, totally. and new zealand's market actually operates well like we've done deals with banks um, that enable us to mm. do exactly what apple's doing so i suppose there's a sort of a positive thing it just needs competitors that are sort of young, hungry, and competitive. Uh, and and it, takes it. it takes and, time. And look, I yeah. think the other thing is, in a small economy like New Zealand, these things are always going to be slower, harder, because we just don't have the economies of scale that you get in a market like the US. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Apple can build up $10 billion in less than six months is staggering, right? Yep. Hey, uh, I think we'd better wrap it up there, but to find out how to earn five and a quarter percent on your savers account, go to squirrel.co.nz forward slash invest and uh, you can join in five minutes. So there's the little ad to close this week's podcast. Uh, <laughs> next week, we're talking to a couple of mortgage advisors on the front line, one in Auckland and one in Wellington. So that should be a great one. So we'll catch you next week. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.